I want to uh, come into this story of Joseph. You can imagine, men, how Joseph may have reacted when he got word that his engaged wife-to-be was pregnant. That's quite some news to get, that we are engaged to be married, and she is pregnant. And he had to grapple with that news, and he had to negotiate the story that he was being told by Mary, that an angel had appeared to her and told her that she was about to have a baby, but God took care of that. And I see we have some standing. If you want to stand for the reading of the word, we're going to go Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It says here that she shall bring forth a son, this an angel speaking to Joseph, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then Joseph being raised from his sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and he took unto him his wife and he knew her not. Until she had brought forth forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Amen. And I sense that even here today that this scripture is not dead. These are not just words from a bygone era. But I believe that this word that the angel spoke to them on that day is just as relevant for us who are gathered here in Kinderville this morning. That they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. And when we speak his name, things happen. Amen. That when we speak that name, that he comes into this place and he can do mighty things. That drastically uh, can change. He can drastically change a situation. There's something dynamic that gets adjusted in the supernatural realm just because you declare His name, Jesus, and he can come and he can be present right here in this place. I believe that as we were just lifting up the praises up to Jesus, that it says that when the praises go up, that his spirit will come and it will inhabit the praises of his people, that he can be right here with us even today. And so church, family, this may be your second, fourth, fifth, twentieth, five hundredth time that you've heard the story of this Christmas season, but no matter How many times you've heard it, I hope that you can make it personal right now because it's more than just the story of a baby who was born in a barn and laid in a manger. But this is the story of God himself robing himself in flesh and coming to earth to save us from our sins. That's the story. Let's just lift up our hands. You can just set your Bible down. I want to lift up my hand, lift up our hands in this place. We're just going to ask the Lord to move in this place. Lord, we thank you. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your word, God, would come today, Lord, and that it would prick us in our hearts. God, that we could be moved by it, that you could come in this place, Lord, and that we would uh, see your manifest presence, Lord, you would fill this house. God, I pray that as we sing praises to you and we lift up your name even during this, this time right now, God, that you would fill this house with your presence. God, that we could see lives change because of it. For when you come in this house, Lord, that there is nothing that is impossible with you. So, Lord, we will lift up your name on high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. You could be seated 
here today. Amen. It was the one intentional uh, part on Eve's error that, that plunged humanity into the path of sin. But in the evening of the earth's greatest disaster in Eden, the Lord promised that the son, that a son of Eve would someday crush the snake that had destroyed humanity. There was a prophecy from the very beginning that what had happened there when Satan beguiled Eve and caused her to sin or invited her to sin, that there would be one day a Savior which would be raised up that would rectify that error that caused us to be broken, that caused sin to enter into the world. And as time went on, the son of Eve was revealed to be the son of Abraham. And then it was the son of Isaac. And then the son of Jacob. On to Judah. And then the son of David. Isaiah saw this son that was prophesied way back in that garden of Eden. Isaiah saw him as a warrior king who was full of the spirit of God. You see, there was a promise that Eve had received that her seed would one day crush the head of the serpent. And there was this promise that she had received that there was deliverance that was coming. There was deliverance that was coming. That sin would have its hold for a little while. But there was a hope that was on the horizon for humanity. And I'm thankful for that hope that they had to hang on to. Because while they were looking forward, we get to look back to that precious hope which came on that day in Bethlehem. And it was born and it was lying there in a manger. You see, they we get to look back on that. But Daniel, when Daniel was writing, he was looking forward to a kingly figure. One like the Son of Man who would have dominion over the whole earth forever. Now we have that advantage of hindsight today and they didn't really understand it. They had a hard time of drawing the parallel of this story that God himself could become man. But through history, God would continue to reveal himself and his promise to humanity. You see, Zechariah, when Zechariah would write his letter, he implied that the deliverer wouldn't just be a king, but he would be a priest as well, and that he would stain his holiness with the people's corruption. In order to take away our sin, he himself would take on the sin of the world. We see that God told the prophets that he would not share his glory with another and that he himself would come and he would be the deliverer of the Lord. He said, uh, in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek then shall suddenly come to this, to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. See, God would show up in the middle of humanity that hungered, that longed for his presence, that one that was looking for him for so many years. And we see it here today, right? Here in this room, we see and we experience the presence of God. I'm thankful that I can feel the presence of God that can move and sweep into this room. And I've been in services where I've left and I knew that I didn't take full advantage of what God had in store for me. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah? 
Where you maybe are distracted a little bit. I've been there. I've, I've been distracted. I've allowed circumstances to interrupt what God really wanted to do with me in that service. I've been in many services like that where I just get caught up in the moment and I don't truly allow God to do what he wants to do in my life. So there's one scripture that says that we need to bring every thought, every thought under subjection. We need to gather all of our thoughts and the distractions and we need to find a way to focus on what God is trying to do for us in that moment. And that's where I want to focus our attention today. What does God want to do with you today? What is God trying to speak to you today? Where is God sending you today? In what way is God trying to change you today? What worries is he trying to get you to hand over to him? Well, what, what, what is it that God would like to take away and off of your plate and say, this is for me to handle. It's not for you to carry around, for it's weighing you down from your true purpose and your true calling. If we ask for him, I believe that God will show up. I believe that when we call on the name of Jesus, he's right there at just the mention of his name. That's just the way God is. He has a desire to hear from his children. He'll show up if we invite him. That's why we sing the songs that we do. I hope that when we sing these songs of praise as we just did, that it's not just a song that we sing and the words on the screen, but that we can mean it in our heart. God, I want your presence in this place. God, we feel your presence in this place. Lord, we worship you. We lift you up. Come on, this, this uh, way that we worship him, we're inviting him in. That's the why, the reason that, that we celebrate the way that we do. It's not choreographed. You can probably tell that by the fact that, you know, just by, by looking at us, not everything's, not, it's not all choreographed. Our worship, it comes from the heart. No one is making us do it. It's an expression of the fact that, that I desire to be with you, God. I, 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 It's an expression of his goodness that he's shown to me. God, you are a good God. You are a wonderful God. I thank you for all that you've done. Is there somebody here, in fact, that could just spontaneously, well, just give God some praise for he is a good God. Lord, we thank you for you are worthy to be praised. God, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for all that you've done. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. This is all from the Bible. We read about how David, he danced before the Lord. All these different expressions of his worship. They're given to us in the Psalms and these other books about David's life. And and he had these expressions of worship. And it was a way to just tell God, I love you. I'm thankful that I get to just partake in a little bit of your glory. If it's from the heart, I believe that God... He looks down and he sees people celebrating him and he just stops for a moment. Stops everything. He says, I need to attend to this worship right here. I need to to attend to the worship of my people. I've got to attend to whatever's happening in this service. I've got to take a moment and celebrate with the people who are celebrating me. I gotta celebrate with those. I want to tend to their needs. I want to, I see them as they worship me and, and they're, they're inviting my presence into their play, into their, their presence where they are. And, and God, he, he stops and he, he, he pays attention to you when you begin to worship Jesus.
That's why we worship him the way that we do. It's because God is he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And yeah, I may have some problems. I may have some things. But as long as I get put the attention on him, he's going to take care of everything that I have. Every need that I have, God, he already has taken care of it. So when these prophecies were given, see, Israel, they didn't fully understand every prophecy about the Messiah who was to come. They had to look at them through the lens of their everyday life. And at the time of uh, that Christ appeared on this scene, it was a difficult time for Israel. Rome overshadowed them. The weight that had been put on them was heavy. The people, they had these long sought after hopes of an anointed one from the line of David who would liberate them, liberate them physically from Rome's siege. It was a time of suffering, a time of difficulty for them. And they were trying to pull all of these facts together. And it wasn't that they didn't study because they did study intently. They looked over the word of God over and over and over again. Forward, backward, up, down. They looked at the word of God. But in the lens of the situation that they were in, they couldn't imagine a God. They couldn't imagine that the God that they served would physically come and be with them. The way that they had best imagined it was, uh, was, was far, uh, the, the way that God would do it was far greater than anything that they could have ever imagined. That God Himself would come down in the form of a servant. That He would rescue them from their sins. I'm so thankful that God orchestrates things that are beyond our wildest imagination. <laughs> right? We have, I have times when I'm facing a situation and I think, God, you could probably do it this way and this way and this way. And you could get me out of this situation. You could help me in this matter that I'm facing. And God, he can orchestrate things a whole lot better than the things that I can imagine in my own mind. I'm thankful that God, his ways are above my ways. That his thoughts are above my thoughts. That God is a great God. And those, those things that, that they imagined that God would come and he would save them. There, there were, there were good thoughts about what God could do. But what God really had in store was so much greater than just a physical, uh, act of bringing them out, uh, of their slavery, of their bondage and their, their oppression from Rome. No, he came to save them from their sins and to establish a kingdom forever. See, the, the Greek philosophers of that time in which Jesus had come, they had been defining God as being this uh, God who was atta- uh, detached from humanity. He was beyond feeling. He was beyond touch. He was... He, he, that the concept of God was one that was totally separate and, and what would never, uh, come down and stoop to the, uh, stoop to the, the, the levels of where man would come and, and set their feet on earth. And from that perspective, uh, the, the parts that they could see in, in ancient Israel to get into the presence of God, there were all these layers that they had to walk through. Right? That had all these things that they had to do. In order to get into the presence of God. And then only one person could do it. The high priest. And then even that one person only once a year. Could walk and to really feel the presence of God. He would walk into the holy of holies. And if everything had been done perfectly and in order. 
then they could feel that God's presence was sweeping into that place and they could, they could feel the presence of God. And so to the Greeks, God was distant and distant. And even in their own mind of, of how they approached God, God was some very distant thing. This, the spirit that was far off. But I'm thankful that as John begins to lay out in his, in his gospel, in John chapter one, we see that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word, it was God. Skip down to verse 14. It says that the word, it was made flesh and it dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father that was full of grace and truth. See this right here. This is the promise. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. This is God robing himself in flesh. The word made manifest and flesh tabernacled amongst us, that God, he would place himself into the form of a human, and that he would confine himself to the same limitations that we have in our human flesh, and that God, he would come and he would walk amongst us. Why? So that he could pay the price that only he could pay, so that he could become the high priest that would take away the sins of the world. See, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it gave us this promise, that therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, that behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. That God would come down. He would robe himself in flesh and be here with us. Now, if you've ever, uh, if you've ever seen the painting, I'm sure you have, uh, this, this painting of uh, the, the Michelangelo, this artist he, he created on the, on the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And, and I'm not one. I don't necessarily study paintings all the time. But, but this is uh, one that... Uh, if you look at it and you, you notice um, how, how he painted this, you see God here on the right and you see Adam there on the left. And, and, and what I notice this in this painting here is that, that you see Adam who is just kind of laid back and, and he's, he's kind of relaxing in a relaxed position, just, just somewhat reaching for God. But, but you have God on the other hand who is fully outstretched and he is, he's reaching toward Adam and he's, they're almost touching. They're not quite touching, but they're almost there. And, and it's as if God, he could, he could go the full distance and he could touch Adam in, in the position that he is, but he's waiting for Adam just to reach just a little bit further and to touch the finger of God. And here, I take... I look at this painting, and it's not to say that this is some biblical uh, understanding, but I do see some some representation of us here today. In that, and sometimes we are are reaching for God in some weak manner, and it would be that God, I believe, that He is reaching for us. That God, He wants us in His presence. That God today, He wants to come into your life. God wants to come and intervene in your situations. That God wants to come and to begin to, to take a hold of the very things that you've been dealing with and wrestling with and the anxiety and depression and the struggles and all these things that you've been dealing with. And God says, I want to come and to handle all that for you. I want to give you peace. I want to restore you. In fact, I want to fill you with my spirit. I want to fill you with my spirit. I want, I, and God is reaching for us today. But what position are we in? 
Are we in the position of Adam where we're just lazily or just somewhat reaching for God? And yeah, in our mind we said, here, look at me, I, I'm reaching for God. Or, or it, it, what I, I would that God would have us to come and to say, God, I want you. God, I want to be outstretched for you just as much as you're stretching for me. As much as God is reaching towards us, I believe that God wants us to be reaching for him. And he came to this earth. God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. He came with a purpose, with a plan. And he found those who were reaching for him. He found those with the pure hearts. He found those who were on, maybe been outcast by, by others, the tax collectors, the sinners, the fishermen, the ones who, who others, when they saw them, they, they say, oh, who, who is that person? You know, what would God really want with that person? But when Jesus came, he said, I can see the heart of man. This is why he points to the tax collector the one day and he's preaching or he's, he's speaking with the Pharisees there. And he says, you see these Pharisees who they're praying and they're they're praying these, these eloquent prayers out in the street, city streets. And, and they're, they're, they're doing this and it's a big show for everybody to see how religious they are. But you see this tax collector who's over here. This tax collector just prayed a prayer in his private closet where he said, God, I'm a sinner. God, I need you. I'm so sorry for the way that I'm living my life. I'm so sorry for the way, the things that I'm doing. And he says, God, he reacts much, much more promptly to that man right there than the Pharisee who's out in the city streets and trying to show how religious he is. He sees the one who's in his closet that's praying and saying, God, I need you. I'm lost without you. God, I need, I just need a little bit of your presence here. That's what God is seeking for. Jesus says that God, he doesn't, not worried about the big display out in public for others to see. He wants somebody who's reaching desperate for, desperately for him and will say, God, wherever you are, that's where I want to be. God, wherever you are, I don't, I don't care about doing this for a show. I don't care about doing this for other people. I don't want to show up to church to impress somebody else. I don't want to show up to church just because that's what's, that's what's expected of me. God, I want to show up to church because that's where your presence is. Then when we begin to lift up the praises of your people, the people begin to lift up the praises. When we begin to feel the presence of God descend into this place. It's not to say that God, He is not, he, He's not there when you call on Him. I believe that God, His presence can be in whatever prayer closet you find yourself in. But that's what God is seeking for is somebody who would say, God, I just want to be with you. God, I just want to be with you. God, I need you. God, I need your presence. I need your presence. I need your presence. That when He came to earth, God with us as Emmanuel on that Christmas morning. That was such a promise. That was such a beautiful uh, display of God's grace toward mankind. But even today, God, he wants to be here with us. God wants to be present with us. He's looking for a heartfelt, intentional, willful person to reach into his presence. Sometimes that just means that we need to slow down a little bit. That means that the cares of life that are happening all around us, we need to pause. 
I can get so busy and caught up with things in my own life. It feels so off balance and off kilter. From and it's when I pause to say, God, I just need you right now. God, I just want you to know that I, I need you. I don't know that you're here with me, but I want to acknowledge my need for you right now. And I do that on, on occasion when, when I'm, I'm feeling so off balance and so off kilter. You just pause. Say, God, I need your presence right now. I need you to come and be with me. I, I just want to slow down just for a moment here. Read a passage. It's, it's this passage from a great author, Max Licato's Christian author. It's a little lengthy here, but I want to just read this to us today. It says that the noise and the bustle that began earlier than usual in the village as night gave way to dawn, that people were already on the streets, that the vendors, they were positioning themselves in the corners of the most heavily traveled avenues. The store owners, they were unlocking the doors to their shops. The children, they were awakened by the exciting barking of the street dogs and the complaints of the donkeys that were pulling carts. The owner of the inn had awakened earlier than most in the town. After all, the inn was full. All the beds were taken. Every available mat or blanket had been put to use. Soon all the customers would be stirring and there would be a lot of work to do. One's imagination is kindled thinking about the conversation of the innkeeper and his family at the breakfast table. Did anyone mention the arrival of the young couple the night before? Did anyone comment on the pregnancy of the girl and the donkey? Perhaps. Perhaps someone raised the subject, but at best, it was raised. It was not discussed. There was nothing that novel about them. They were possibly one of several families who were turned away that night. Besides, who had time to talk about them when there was so much excitement in the air? Augustus did the economy of Bethlehem a favor when he decreed that a census should be taken. Who could remember when such commerce had hit this small village? No, it's doubtful that anyone mentioned the couple's arrival or wondered about the condition of the girls. Here, they were too busy. The day was upon them. The day's bread had to be made. The morning's chores had to be done. There was too much to do to imagine that the impossible had occurred. That Emmanuel, God with us, was with us. That God had entered the world as a baby. And yet... Or yet were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning. What a peculiar scene they would behold. That the stable stinks like all stables do. The stench of urine and dung and sheep reeks pungently in the air. The ground is hard and the hay scarce. The cobwebs, they cling to the ceiling and a mouse scurries across the dirt floor. And a more lowly place of birth could not exist. Off to one side sit a group of shepherds. They sit silently on the floor, perhaps perplexed, perhaps in awe, no doubt in amazement. Their night watch had been interrupted by an explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. And like us, God goes to those who have time to hear him. So on this cloudless night, he went to simple shepherds. Near the young mother sits the weary father. If anyone is dozing, he is. He can't remember the last time that he sat down. Maybe someone right now beside you is sleeping. I don't know. But for them that day, the excitement 
had subsided a little bit. And now that Mary and the baby were comfortable, he leans against the wall of the stable and he feels his eyes grow heavy. He still hasn't figured it all out and the mystery of the event still puzzles him. But he hasn't the energy to wrestle with the questions. What's important is that the baby is fine, that Mary is safe. As his sleep comes, he remembers the name of the angel, the name that the angel had told him to use, Jesus. And Joseph says, we will call him Jesus. And God comes into our world simply and powerfully in the form of a servant. Majesty in the midst of this mundane life. The holiness comes in amongst us. Divinity enters the world on the floor of a stable. From the womb of a teenager in the presence of a carpenter. And we would never, ever be the same again. He writes just a little bit further. He says, meanwhile, the city at hums. The merchants, they are unaware that God has visited their planet. That the innkeeper would never believe that he had just sent God out into the cold. The people would scoff at anyone who told them that the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. Maybe, just maybe, they were all too busy to consider the possibility. That those who missed his majesty's arrival that night missed it not because of evil acts, not because of malice. No, they missed it simply because they weren't looking for it. They weren't longing. They weren't reaching. Little has changed in the last 2,000 years. Humanity is much the same even today. At the church, it can preach doctrine and speak about false doctrine. We can preach and we can sit through sermons week after week. But this story, it speaks of humanity, which misses God right in the midst of us. This still happens today. That God can be right here in the middle of us, wanting to do a great work. And we can miss him. They missed God on that day, in Beth, on that night in Bethlehem. Because they had so much else going on. See, the most frequent command in the word of God is a command. We even heard it to the shepherds that night by the angels. It was to fear not. But the most frequent promise in the word of God is this. I will be with you. That's the most frequent promise in Scripture. I will be with you. This promise, it was made to Enoch who would walk with God. This promise, I will be with you, was made to Noah. This promise was made to Abraham. I will be with you was said to Sarah. It was said to Jacob. It was said to Joseph. I will be with you was something that was said to Moses and to David. Amos, the prophet. He was told, I will be with you. That Mary, on that day when she found out she was pregnant, she was told, I will be with you. That the Apostle Paul, God told him, I will be with you. There are too many others to list here in this sermon, but over and over and over we see that God continually and frequently lets us know that we don't have to be alone. You don't have to be alone today. You don't have to walk through life and through all of your decisions and just try to figure out your own way through it. I don't know how people get through life without Jesus. When you encounter those moments and those times and you're you're faced with a struggle, there is only one name 
that you can really count on, and that's that name, Jesus. That his presence will be right there. That his presence, God with us, it is still just as relevant today as it was on that day in Bethlehem. That just at the mention of his name, God will be with you. That God will suddenly come to where you are. That God will come with a purpose. That God will come with a plan. And that God, he will do a great work. That the majesty of the story is the fact that God, 2,000 years ago, he came to earth. It's a mystery. But there's majesty in it if we fully grasp the fact that God came to earth. God, he came to earth. Now just imagine that. This is like, okay, look, it's like you looking at some ants that are just down there and they're, they're doing their work and, and you see them and it's like, man, they are doing a lot of good work, a lot of hard work, but it seems like they're struggling. I need to become an ant to help them out. And yes, we were made in the image of God, but God, He is so holy and separate and so different from us. And yet God, in His majesty and all of what, all of His love for humanity, He said, I want to become one of you. I need you to, I I need to come down and become one of you to save you from your sin. That's the hope of what God did for us when he came and he robed himself in flesh. And he became a baby that lied there in that manger in Bethlehem. It was a huge monumental promise that, that would come to pass when God would robe himself and become one of us. And he became present with them that day. And he became present for us today to save us from our sins. I'm bringing this to a close here. In just a minute, if I can bring, have our musicians come. Because this is an incredible, incredible thing that God did. And I don't want to miss the fact that God, He is still doing it today. That the King of Kings, that the Lord of Lords, He is here with us. That He wants to be part of your life. That He desires to spend time with you. But we cannot miss the fact that it's not only God with us. But on the cross of Calvary, he became God for us. He took my sins upon him. He took your sins upon him. He who was perfect, he who was without sin became sin. He who is without sin took on my sin. I owe the price. I owe it, but he paid it. I owe the price for what I've done for every time that I've I've sinned, every time that I've walked away from God, every time that I've I've, I've deliberately uh, done things that that I know I shouldn't do. And and yeah, I, I... I'm the one, I I should pay that price. But he paid it. He paid the price. He said, I see you in your sin, and I'm going to become sin. And I'm going to pay the price so that you can live with me for eternity. And he did that. He hung on that cross. He died a gruesome death. He became Christ for us. God for us. But then 
He didn't stay there in the grave. He rose up out of that grave. And he became a glorified body that was walking there. And he said, I'm going to spend just a little time with you. But but soon I'm going to leave this place. But I'm not going to leave you. For I'm going to send my spirit. And he told those who were with him on that that day as he went up into the into the clouds. He says, "I want you to go to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there for my promise. For I'm going to fill you with my spirit." And so we have Emmanuel, God with us, and we can still feel His presence with us here today. And we see on Calvary it was God for us when He became sin. But there, as they waited in that upper room on the day of Pentecost, we see that it became God in us. If we read in Romans chapter 8, verse number 11, it tells us that if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That same spirit which was in Christ Jesus is the same spirit that's in you. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the same spirit that was in Christ Jesus. It is God in you. He's not just with you. He's not just for you. But he can dwell in you. And you need Him to dwell in you, for that's the only way that you can truly be an overcomer. That's the only way it says that you're going to have your body that's going to get up off of this this ground one day. It's going to meet Him in the sky. There's only one way that you're going to see Him on the other side of glory, and that's if you have Jesus Christ, that Spirit dwelling inside of you. And if there's somebody here today, if we can stand in this place, if there's somebody today that's thankful that we have God's presence with us, and I'm thankful that I have Him who died for me, but I'm also thankful that I have Him in me. And if you are here today, and you don't have that precious Spirit in you, let me tell you that He wants to fill you with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost here today and all it takes is for you to come with a heart of repentance and to say God I'm here and I'm a sinner and I need your grace God I need your presence I need your spirit in me and if that's you today, I want to welcome you up to this altar. In fact, if we could just flood this altar right now with anybody who's thankful for the presence of God. But if you are here today and you're seeking the Spirit, would you find find a place right now and just lift up your hands and say, God, I want today to be the day when I can feel your presence in me. God, I love what I feel when I come in this place and I feel you with me. But I want you in me. God, I want your presence in me. Can you feel his presence here in this place? Yes, Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd.